This Day in Maine is made possible by listeners and by Eastern Basements, a division of Maine-owned Eastern Mold Remediation. Offering crawl space repairs and waterproofing, easternbasements.com. From Maine Public Radio and mainepublic.org, I'm Patty White with the news on This Day in Maine, Friday, February 16th, 2024. Conservationists hope the recovery of Maine lobster rope from a dead right whale earlier this week prompts a broader conversation about how best to protect the critically endangered species. But as Nicola Grisco reports, a five-year pause on new federal regulations will complicate those efforts. The regulatory pause will make it difficult to force the Maine lobster industry to adopt new federal regulations aimed at protecting right whales. But Erica Fuller, senior counsel for the Conservation Law Foundation, says this week's news is at odds with a long-standing industry claim that right whales aren't in Maine. And she believes the federal government should soon reconvene a group of scientists, fishermen, and others to begin discussions about new measures to take effect after 2028. I don't think it's about attaching blame. It's about figuring out where the risk is and trying to make the right decisions that protect both the Maine fishery and critically endangered North Atlantic right whales. Fuller says the news should also highlight the urgency for testing alternative fishing gear. Maine is supposed to ramp up the testing of on-demand gear this year. And earlier this week, conservation groups asked a federal judge to reopen a three-year-old court case and force the federal government to act on long-delayed ship speed limits. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration proposed new rules aimed at stopping large vessels from colliding with right whales, but they haven't been finalized. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Nicole Grisco. As state officials consider a contract extension for the operation of the Juniper Ridge landfill in Old Town, area residents say they aren't satisfied with management now, let alone for the years to come. But operator Casella Waste Management says Juniper Ridge is a key support for Maine's changing waste disposal landscape. Caitlin Bedayan has more. Mainers from the community surrounding Juniper Ridge Landfill turned out in Brewer Thursday to voice their opposition to extending the landfill operator's contract. Casella Waste Management has requested a six-year extension to the current end date of February 2034. The company is also in the process of requesting an expansion to the landfill, says Jeff Weld, Director of Communications. Given our 20-year history of, of impeccable service at that facility with zero violations um, and really our knowledge and understanding of that facility in support of the state of Maine, uh, we really feel like that this is the best um, best opportunity for both the state and for Casella to sort of move this relationship forward. Residents raised concerns about Casella's management of Juniper Ridge, citing issues with odors and a fire that broke out last May. Penobscot Nation Tribal Ambassador Molly and Bryant says the contract extension can't be discussed without noting the negative impact the landfill has had on the tribe and the nearby Indian Island Reservation. On a matter of the process, because of the questionable handling of the landfill currently, it makes no sense to allow any extensions or accommodations until appropriate steps have been taken. Weld says the company is working to control odors, but that has been difficult in the last year as the landfill has taken more sludge from wastewater treatment facilities. As for the fire, Weld says it was likely started by a lithium-ion battery that was not disposed of correctly, one of many newer challenges in waste management. And he says staff worked diligently to coordinate with local fire departments to put it out quickly. State officials will accept public comment on the extension through Monday, February 26th, and will respond in writing to comments by April 11th. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Caitlin Bedayan. 
Advocates for older adults say Governor Mills' proposed budget rolls back changes to a program that helps older Mainers pay for Medicare. The state was supposed to expand eligibility for the Medicare Savings Program by March 1st, but the funding was not included in the recently released spending plan. Jess Maurer of the Maine Council on Aging says she doesn't understand why, especially because Maine expanded Medicaid under Governor Mills. You have to ask the question, why is it okay for younger people to expand health insurance for younger people, but you're actively opposing expanding health insurance for older people? Maurer says expanding eligibility for the Medicare savings program would cost $14 million, but bring in $37 million in federal dollars. A spokesperson for the Department of Administrative and Financial Services says the administration is doing a partial expansion of the program, but has been forced to plan for flattening revenues. After 20 years, the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard in Kittery is being removed from the Superfund list. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency says even though cleanup and remediation are complete, monitoring will continue. The Navy will conduct follow-up reviews every five years and send them to the agency. The shipyard, which builds and repairs submarines, was listed as a Superfund site in 1994 due to spills and leaks from industrial operations, battery storage, and outfalls to the Piscataqua River. The Portland Museum of Art is laying off 13 employees, citing financial challenges it says began during the pandemic. Carol Bousquet reports. The museum says the pandemic upended its operations, and since 2020, it's experienced a 35 percent decrease in attendance. According to its website, the PMA qualified for employee retention credits in the Paycheck Protection Program, which allowed it to maintain staffing and programming during the pandemic, but it says those supports are about to expire. The museum says wages and benefits represent nearly 70 percent of its operating budget, and the cuts are necessary to remain viable. The 13 positions affected include salaried managers and employees, both full-time and hourly. The PMA is in the midst of a capital campaign to raise $100 million for an expansion of its Congress Square campus, citing its inadequate and dated facilities. Museum staff declined to be interviewed, and trustees did not return our calls prior to airtime. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Carol Bousquet. New York State police officers tried repeatedly last summer to convince Robert Card that his fellow reservists in the Army were not calling him a pedophile shortly before they escorted him to a hospital for a psychiatric evaluation. The interaction is shown in newly released body cam video taken less than four months before Card engaged in the Lewiston mass shootings. As Steve Missler reports, the footage is a stark depiction of Card's paranoia and futile attempts by police and fellow reservists to get him help. Robert, Robert, this is Super Cats of the State Police. Can you open the door for me, please? Before New York State Police knocked on Card's barracks door last July, they strategized for nearly an hour about how to get him to Keller Army Community Hospital in West Point. In body cam footage obtained by a Freedom of Information request from Maine Public, members of his reserve unit pled with officers to take Card into custody after he'd become aggressive and accused them of calling him a pedophile and gay. His fellow reservists were worried. Card was slated to join them on the shooting range during their annual training. And as they argued the night before, he ominously vowed to, quote, take care of it without explaining what he meant. 
Card had an equally menacing warning during his 15-minute interaction with the New York State Police. The troopers believed that they didn't have probable cause to take Card into protective custody, but they did secure an order from his commanding officer that he was to report to the Army Hospital for an evaluation. They were there to convince him to follow that order and also to persuade him that his fellow reservists were not talking about him. All right, so we, we talked to a few of them today, and they're, they're saying, like, nothing like that is happening. They're, they're, they're talking about how good of a friend they are to you. You guys have been great friends for a decade now, and, and they're not sure what's going on. But Card was unconvinced. He told police that his colleagues were saying the same insults as everyone else. It's happening everywhere, so all right. hearing bits and pieces of all of it, and it's just getting old, and I confront people, and it doesn't stop. So. Okay. The troopers again tried to reason with him. I mean, does it make sense that someone that you've been good friends with for over a decade would would all of a sudden just start saying these things yeah, about you? It's happening everywhere, so yeah. What do you mean by that? A lot of sense. What do you mean by that? It's happening everywhere. At work, I had to quit my job, go to a different place to try to leave it, and then it's there as well. The troopers then tried to convince Card that his fellow reservists were only looking out for him, and they had to. The troopers could not detain him, and that meant the same reservists who had called the police also had to take him on the hour-long drive to West Point. I hope you understand that, that they're, they're concerned enough about your welfare that they called us. Oh, because they're scared, because I'm going to friggin' do something, because I am capable. Like, what do you mean by that? Huh? What do you mean by that? Nothing. No. He would spend two weeks at a private psychiatric hospital, but neither that stay nor subsequent warnings from reservists to local law enforcement would prevent him from carrying out the worst mass shooting in Maine history. Just three days before the massacre, Card typed a note on his cell phone acknowledging that he was having problems. It was described Thursday by Maine State Police Sergeant Chris Farley to the commission investigating the tragedy. On October 22nd, 2023, is when Robert Card writes a note on his cell phone where he's having issues with both the issues he's having and that he's had enough and he's trained to hurt people. The commission also learned that Card purchased the same high-caliber rifle he used to kill 18 people and wound 13 others shortly before his encounter with the New York State Troopers, part of an arsenal that one reservist estimated was worth between $20,000 and $30,000. The commission is expected to meet again in early March. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Steve Missler. And that's today's Maine News. For more stories, visit mainepublic.org. Coming up on Maine Calling at 11 Monday morning, Maine's housing shortage. We'll discuss current challenges and solutions. I'm Patty White. Thanks for listening.